one of the things that we're doing is we're putting some distance between us and God. We're getting him where he belongs, and we're reminding ourselves of our, our humble uh, position in life. David's referenced the idea of thinking about God and what are, who are we that he'd be mindful of us. We're, we're getting some separation, and we're going to draw closer to God and be more and more like him. We've always got to remember who we are and who he is, and we've got to be humble. And uh, I think our worship helps with that. So I appreciate the time that we've had together this morning. Well, back when Nikki and I were getting married, Nikki had heard that if you invite the President of the United States to your wedding, that you'll get a letter back from him sending his regrets. And so as we were sending out our invitations, we sent a letter to the President, sent that off to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, and sure enough, we got a letter back from the President wishing us well in our marriage. Now, it wasn't really from the president. I'm sure he never saw the invitation, and he didn't write the letter, but it had his signature at the bottom of it. It was neat that we had a letter from the president, from the White House. And it made for a good conversation at the wedding. You know, we invited the president, but he couldn't make it today. But uh, anyhow, when you get an important letter, you're interested in seeing who, you know, what is written in that letter. And you, you, you treat that letter more carefully than you would just junk mail. This morning, I want to imagine that what if Jesus wrote us a letter? And he has written us a letter in the Bible, I understand that. But what if he wrote us a letter specifically to us, a personal letter to us? What would it say? We don't know exactly what he would write, but I think we can imagine that the letter that he would write to us would be very similar to the letter that he wrote to the seven churches in Asia. Those were personal letters to people in those times going through personal things in their lives. And it is interesting that all of those letters have four statements that are exactly alike. And this morning, I want to look at those statements and make personal application to us. Because I think it's safe to imagine that if Jesus was going to write a letter to us, that it might have these four same statements in it that he included to those letters in the churches in Asia. The first thing that our letter from Jesus might say is it might address us by name. He addressed the seven churches in Asia by name. Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 1 of Revelation. Smyrna in chapter 2, verse 8. Pergamum in 2.12. Thyatira in 2.8.14. He addressed them by name. He knew them by name. And he knows you and me by name as well. Now you might be thinking to yourself, how in the world could he know me by name? There are almost 8 billion people alive on earth right now. How could he know me by name? But in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 26, we read about God. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created all these things. Who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. God knows the names of all the stars. And scientists tell us there are approximately 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. That's two with a long, long line of zeros after it. And the scientists don't even know exactly how many stars there are. And yet God knows the names of all of them. You see, it's very reasonable that he could know my name. 
and he could know your name. And in fact, he'd have to know us by name to do what he says he's doing in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. You see, Jesus knows my name. And he knows your name. Or else how could he write our names in the book of life? How else could he confess our names to the Father? He knows our names. He knows me and he knows you. That's something that's very important. You know, there's something important about being known by name. It, it conveys that idea of a deeper understanding of someone. You know, I know a lot of people by face only. You do too. Not by name. I know a lot of people by face that I might come in contact with in the Little League or at the store or even some of my neighbors I might know by face, but I don't know them by name. The waiter at the restaurant that we frequent on Sundays for lunch, I know them by face. I don't know their name. And I could have a conversation with them, but it wouldn't get much farther than, hi, how you doing? I don't know them. But God knows us by name. We talked about this a few weeks ago in Jesus, how he is our good shepherd. He knows our sheep by na- his sheep by name. He knows us by name. In John chapter 10, verse 3, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus knows us by name. He would address this letter, I believe, to us by name. He knows us. He knows what we need. He knows our concerns. He knows our desires. He knows us. And that leads us to the next thing I think our letter would say, and that is the second thing that's common in these letters to the churches in Asia. If he knows us, he knows our works. He mentions this in chapter 2, verses 2, 9, 13, 17, chapter 3, verses 1, 8, and 15. In every letter to the churches of Asia, I know thy works. Jesus knows our works. He knows what we're doing, how we're living our lives. And in fact, he'd have to know that if he's going to make good on the promise he made in John chapter 15, beginning of verse 1. In John chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I'm the vine. And I know the branches. I know what they're doing. If that branch is not bearing fruit, off it goes. He knows what we're doing. And he's concerned about what we're doing. Now this is different than what a lot of people in the religious world today are teaching. They're teaching all you need to do is believe and have faith, and it doesn't really matter how you live. That Jesus just cares about your heart and about your faith and maybe about your good intentions, but it doesn't really matter what you do. But Jesus says otherwise. He says, I know your works. And this is a theme that runs throughout the Bible. Jesus knows if we're obeying or not. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46 Luke 6, verse 46, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? A lot of people are saying, you know what? It just matters about your heart. Jesus knows my heart. 
He knows that I'd like to do better, but I'm just having a hard time with that. He knows that I, uh, that I want to serve Him, but He'll just accept me as, as I am right now, and I don't really need to change. Jesus says, no. If you're not following me, if you're not doing what I tell you to do, if you're not doing the works that I tell you to do, I'm not really your Lord, am I? And maybe someone would say, well, you know what? Maybe I'm not what I need to be, but I'm not doing really bad stuff. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good. Maybe Jesus just doesn't notice. Maybe He doesn't notice. I come to church on Sunday, and that's really when Jesus is watching. He's watching who goes in and out that door. But the rest of the week, I'm just a pretty good guy, and maybe He's okay with that. Are you living that way? Jesus says He knows our works. Kids, you need to realize that Jesus knows how you're living. You know, there's a lot of kids who think that as long as they can hide something that they're doing that's bad from their parents, then it's okay. It's not okay. Jesus knows. God sees. And Jesus is concerned about how we live. Hebrews 5, verse 9, And being perfected, He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. We must be obeying. He knows our work. He knows how we're living. And our works are not just abstaining from the things He said not to do. We have to also be engaged in doing the things that He said to do, be doing what we're supposed to do. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 beginning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge, you and, uh, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us on how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. We need to be desiring to do more and more because Jesus knows our work. He knows what we're doing. And what would he say to you in your letter from him about your works? He knows your works. The next thing that his letter might say to us is the third thing that he said to the churches in Asia, to him that overcometh. This is found in chapters 2, verses 7, 11, 17, and 26. Chapter 3, verse 5, 12, and 31, uh, 21. He told them over and over again, to him who overcomes. And the word overcome suggests that it's going to be hard. You don't have to overcome eating a piece of cheesecake. But if someone puts a generous helping of asparagus on your plate, you might have to overcome that. You don't have to overcome things that are easy. Someone going through cancer treatments and fight through, you might say, he overcame the disease. He overcame, he fought through. Someone who goes on vacation for a week to a tro tropical island, he doesn't overcome that vacation. You don't have to overcome things that are easy. You have to overcome things that are hard. And Jesus says here and throughout the Bible that living for Him isn't going to be easy. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there be many who, who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few. Jesus says it's going to be hard 
to live for him. And we're going to have to overcome. We're going to have to persevere. We're going to have to see it through. Jesus knows it's going to be hard because he came here and he lived it. This isn't like your boss telling you to do something and he doesn't really understand how hard it is. You ever had that happen? You ever had your boss say, do this, and you say, well, I could do that, but you realize how long that's going to take? You realize how hard that is? Oh, I didn't realize that. No, Jesus is telling us to live this way, and he knows exactly what it's like because he did it. Hebrews chapter, um, chapter, uh, chapter, yeah, let me find that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Not in the slide deck here. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Uh, it says, uh, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but when all was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows what it's like to live a faithful life. He knows how hard it is. And it's going to be difficult. Jesus never tried to hide that. He didn't, oh, now that you're signed up, guess what? It's going to be really hard. No, he said from the beginning in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Jesus said, it's going to be hard. He wants us to overcome. But his statement to him who overcomes indicates that we can overcome, doesn't it? We can be successful in this walk. It's not an impossible task. And sometimes the devil would like to whisper in our ear, you're not going to make it. It's too hard. You might as well give up. You might as well throw in the towel. You can't be faithful to God. But Jesus, by making the statement to him who overcomes, tells us we can overcome. It is possible. It's not an impossible task. In James chapter 4, in James chapter 4, verse 7, beginning, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James tells us that we can resist the devil. We can overcome. In no uncertain terms, we need to be confident that we can do this. Jesus, in his statement to the seven churches in Asia, Jesus, if he was going to write a letter to you, perhaps, would say, to him who overcomes, you can overcome. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you such as, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with, with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You can overcome. And you'll never be able to say overcome. And what do you receive for overcoming? In his seven letters to the seven churches, he mentioned numerous blessings that would be those who, to those who overcame. Here are just a few. Those who overcome will have access to the tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God, Revelation 2, verse 7. Those who overcome will receive a crown of life, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Those who overcome will not be hurt by the second death, Revelation 2, verse 11. Those who overcome will not have their names blotted out of the book of life. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. Those who overcome 
will be granted to set with Jesus in his throne. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. And the list could go on and on. Is, is it going to be hard to overcome? Yes. Is it going to be worth it to overcome? Absolutely. To you personally by name, I know your works. To him who overcomes. And finally, Jesus' letter might say, To him that hath an ear, let him hear. That's what he said in seven letters to the churches in chapter 2, verses 7, 11, 17, 29. Chapter 3, verses 6, 13, and 22. To him who has an ear, let him hear. Jesus says we can all hear. It's up to us. He gives the invitation to all of us. And the question is, will you hear? And yet there are many in the religious world today that says you can't hear unless God somehow acts on your heart and opens up your heart so that you'll respond. That God has to somehow move on you before you can hear. And they go on to say that God doesn't work on everybody's heart. He just works on a few. That God picks who He wants to hear and who He wants to obey. And not everybody's going to because God hasn't chosen them and He hasn't moved on them. That Jesus says here, and he says throughout the scriptures, that it's up to us. Will you hear what he's saying to you? In 2 Peter chapter 3, in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning of verse 9, 2 Peter 3 verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Is God working on you, but He's not working on Bob down the street? Does He like you, but He doesn't like the other ladies in the PTA? Has God picked certain people, but not others? No. God wants all to come to repentance. He doesn't want any to perish. Jesus says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. In Revelation chapter, or sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Jesus wants all to be saved. You have to have an ear, though. You have to listen. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires... Let him take of the water of life freely. God's not decided that he's going to let some people hear and other people not. God hasn't picked you and not picked me. God hasn't picked certain and he wants others to be lost. No, whosoever will. Finally, in Matthew chapter 3, or sorry, Matthew chapter 13, beginning of verse 14. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For, your heart, for the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and return, so that I should heal them. Who, who shut their eyes? Who closed their ears? Did God? No, the people had. And so Jesus, in his letters to the seven churches, says it's up. Will you hear? He knows our works. He knows it's going to be hard to overcome, but that we can overcome. And he wants us to hear what he has to say to us. 
Jesus' letter to us might look a lot like the letters he wrote to the seven churches in Asia. But you know, he doesn't have to write us a personal letter, does he? He's written the Bible to us. The question is, will we hear it? Will we follow it? Will we live for him every day of our lives? How are you living this morning? Are you living for him in your life? If you're not, we encourage you to make correction to that, and if we can help, will you let us know while we stand and sing?